0: So good morning, my name is Laura and today we're continuing our series in the restoration movement. We'll talk about revivals and big decisions in the past of what happened in our movement. But before I do that, I want to invite a couple of people to the stage in a second who have been part of Churches of Christ for a very long time. I'll just wait. I think we're all good. Yeah, we're all good. So last week we had Pete Willis, who was who shared on video with us, who grew up here in Cairns and was part of our church, and his dad was actually a minister in this church for a few years. And Doug Willis also had a tent ministry where he would take this tent and people would come and he would share the good news about Jesus. So I want to invite Bill and Nolene up to the stage right now. These guys are a little bit nervous, but they're going to be great. And they're going to tell us a little bit about this tent ministry because they remember being part of it. So I'll hand over the mic. Thanks, Laura. (laughs) So Bill and Nolene. So Bill, can you tell us a little bit about why you remember the tent ministry and what happened for you?
1: Uh, Trying to remember, it must have been mid-70s to late 70s because we'd been newly married and Nolene asked me if I'd like to come along to a tent mission. Well, to please my lovely wife, I said yeah and the saying is happy wife, happy life, so I went along and sat there and um, I can remember listening to the speaker really intently and they did an altar call and I thought, well, there's no reason at all why I shouldn't accept God, so I went forward and made my decision.
0: (laughs) Nolene's making hand movements, she's very, she's proud of you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was a, a beautiful moment. <coughs> okay.
0: So, Nolan oh, yes. since you've got the mic, what do you remember about your experiences as the Church of Christ? Because that goes a long way back to even Western Australia. Um, in the early days, what was it like for you?
2: Well, I could stand here for a long time and tell you all that, but I'll talk about the tent missions mm-hmm. because that's what I remember as a little girl. Doug Willis, I don't remember back then because he was over there earlier, but I remember Jack Bond, he was um, worked with Doug as well. And we used to go along as... I was a little kid and my sister was a bigger kid and we go to these tent missions and they'd be in different towns all around the Western Australia. And I think maybe that's how some of the churches started from out of these tent missions. We just thought they were great fun, but I was only very little, so that's all I remember about those days. But um but just growing up in the church, like obviously my mum came to know Jesus through her brother going to a tent mission and, and our family um got to know Jesus through that so it goes right back. So I guess I was born into the Church of Christ and have been involved in Church of Christ forever. But the one thing that sticks out to me about being involved with this church um, is its family. And it didn't matter where we lived, whether we were in Bunbury or we moved to Perth and we went to several different churches, as soon as you walked in you felt like you had family and I hope that's how everyone here feels when you come to visit or if you're just new, that you feel that you're part of our family.
0: Yeah, that's true. What about you, Bill? Um, your experiences of churches of Christ. Sorry for you on the spot. What do you remember? Yeah, what didn't do you know appreciate? There was another
1: question coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Sorry. Um, yeah, but I was thinking about that myself this morning. Just the family and the friends that we've made within the church. You know, I can just look around here and pick out one or two, and three or four or five. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps going. And it doesn't matter where we go, whether they're down in Hobart, whether they're, wherever they are, and um, we can feel part of the family. Yeah, that's and it's very just true. just great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. That's what I appreciate about our church as well and Churches of Christ. So I want to pray for you guys before you sit down because you've been part of our church for a very long time and just the way you live your lives is very impactive, I know, for people here and also in the community. So let me pray for you guys. Jesus, thank you so much for Bill and Olean, and thank you so much for the way they've been part of our church and their experience of church as a Christ. I pray that you'll continue to use them to impact people here and in their community, and especially in their housing community. Jesus, we thank you that um, you've used things like revival and tent meetings and crusades, and you've brought these guys to know you. Jesus, I pray that you continue to to, um, spread the good news about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, Bill and Ollie shared a little bit about the early days in Queensland of tent ministries and evangelistic outreaches. So, we're going to talk a little bit about revivals and the history of that in the restoration movement, because there is one really bizarre event that happened a long time ago. But to set the scene, I want to talk a little bit first about magic shows. Now, magic shows, illusions, tricks are phenomenal. Now, we've had Jira on stage here before, who is our kids' ministry guy, and he does illusions, tricks. And I don't know if you've sat here in the audience, if you've seen him, I am constantly trying to figure out what, how is he doing that? How is he flicking his hands? How is he maneuvering things to make it look so real? And I can imagine if you're going to a professional, I shouldn't say that because Jira is professional, but if you're going to a performance of a magic guy, a magician, they, they are just amazing. I would just be constantly going, I'm mind-blowing, how are they doing that? I'd be questioning, trying to work it out. What What is going on? But I would also have skepticism. I'd look at that going, I'm really skeptical because I know it's not real. How is it happening? Now, sometimes in the church, when we come to the move of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves, we can look at it in the same way as we look at magic tricks. We can come and look at the way the Holy Spirit moves and we can question it. We can try and explain it away We can try and understand what God is doing. We can try and work it out. But often we can't. Sometimes there is no explanation to to the ways the Holy Spirit moves. But skepticism towards miracles, charismatic gifts of the Spirit, is real. And I know that sometimes people, even today, some people believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't work in those extraordinary ways anymore. The belief is that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that because we have the Bible. The Bible is complete. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to do that because we have the Bible. So there's scepticism. Miracles, do they happen? Does the Holy Spirit still speak the way he spoke in Acts chapter 2? How do we know if we're witnessing a miracle that it's a move of God? How do we know if you've experienced a miracle that it's from God? And what about all the historical revivals in the past where there's recorded events of the Holy Spirit moving and there are weird, bizarre, and it seems like crazy events happening. And you may have heard of different revivals that are happening around the world. They happen even today. And you see that. You see people maybe falling down. You see people lying on the ground. They seem to be unable to move. You see people talking in what's called tongues, laughing, crying. How do you rationalize exp- that? Alright, we'll try this mic. Alright, we're all good. So how do you explain and rationalise the work of the Holy Spirit? Are people in those situations putting it on, acting in a way that they think they should be acting? Is it an illusion? is it real? Is it an act of God? And how do we know if it is God? So like I said at the start, we're looking at the history of our restoration movement, what we know as Churches of Christ today, and looking at where our church came from. So we know that the restoration movement began over 200 years ago in the US and in the UK. And the original intent of the founders of the restoration movement was to bring the church back to unity So Thomas and Alexander Campbell, who we've been introduced to over the last few weeks, they wanted to remove barriers that were stopping people coming to Jesus and stopping people coming to church. They wanted to show people that we are Christians only, but we are not the only Christians. We are part of the wider kingdom of God. So in the history of the restoration movement, there are a couple of really weird events and One of the most bizarre events is something where the Holy Spirit worked in amazing, bizarre, crazy and unusual ways. And this is where we introduce to you at the third founder of the Restoration Movement, Barton Stone. So Barton Stone was a young Presbyterian minister in the US who left behind the denomination because of the divisions he saw in the church. So Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell, who Jeff introduced last week, was a son of Thomas Campbell, met in 1832. So even before these guys met, they realised that they were on the same journey, that journey to restore the church back to New Testament, what they saw in the New Testament, that unity they saw. And they realised in 1832 that they had the same goals, they had the same ideals. So when they met together, that was when the restoration movement started. And it grew from about 25,000 members to 200,000 members in 1861. Amazingly fast growth to today where we see people worshipping in churches of Christ churches all around the world. And the Restoration Movement is often called the Stone-Campbell Movement because Thomas and Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone... So 20 years before these guys met, Barton Stone was part of a revival and it's one of the most famous revivals in the history of the US and that's called the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky in 1801. So this was a time in history which is called the Second Great Awakening where revivals were happening all over America in little pockets. Amazing things were happening. People were coming to Christ. So Barton Stone heard about this and he was really intrigued. So he travelled from his hometown to go and visit one of these revivals that was occurring. And he was so overwhelmed. So impacted by the move of the Holy Spirit, he came home to his home church and organised what he called a camp meeting, where people would come and camp out for the weekend, or a communion meeting. So this began on Friday night and finished on Sunday with communion. So Barton anticipated maybe about 10,000 people who would turn up to this event. But history tells us that over 25,000 people turned up to this Cane, uh, Cane Ridge revival. Amazing. So imagine back then, they didn't have live streaming, they didn't have internet, they didn't have large outdoor screens. So what they would do to reach that many people, they would have four to five different preachers around on tree stumps, on platforms, on wagons who were preaching the news of Jesus. People came from far and wide, they cut across socioeconomic uh, barriers, racial barriers, and it was an even a joint event between the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and the Methodists. People came with curiosity to see what God was doing, and so many people encountered Jesus. Now, this was a revival meeting, so there are recorded events of the Holy Spirit moving in really bizarre ways. So I have a couple of quotes on the screen for you. This is a couple of accounts of what happened at this revival meeting. It says sinners dropping down on every hand, shrieking, groaning, crying for mercy, convoluted. One witness said, professors praying, agonising, fainting, falling down in distress for sinners or in raptures of joy. Some singing, some shouting, clapping their hands, hugging and even kissing, laughing, others talking to the distressed, to one another or to opposers of the work, and all All this happening at once. Amazing. And then another quote says, Men, women and children shrieked and fainted. Preachers shouted to the crowd and urged repentance. Some of the penitents became hysterical. Lightheadedness was common. Individuals began to jerk. Scoffers stood by and mocked. Imagine that scene, the Cane Ridge revival. Crazy, messy, wild, God was moving. The Holy Spirit was moving and people were coming face to face with God in unimaginable ways. People of different faith backgrounds, people of different denominations, experiencing Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit. But what do we make of this? Those accounts are weird. Is it real? Is it an illusion? Does the Holy Spirit work like that? How do we know that's from God and not from something else? How can it be so chaotic? Now, what do you think of when you hear of people falling down, fainting, laughing, crying, all of those events? What does that, what does that do in your heart? Would you like to be curious that it's possible? Or are you sceptical? Now, I wasn't there, and you probably weren't either, because it was 1801. That's a very long time ago. But from <laughs> what I've experienced and seen of revivals on TV, this thing isn't uncommon. I've never experienced anything personally like this and but I know that God moves in mysterious miraculous ways. I find it interesting I find it fascinating but as I read those accounts I'm just I also find it very challenging so I want to explore a little bit in, in the New Testament to look at this revival and what the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves. So we know that the first recorded move of the Holy Spirit was in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. That is actually quite bizarre when you think about it. Flames or tongues of fire on people's heads. Imagine seeing that for the very first time. That is bizarre. That is weird. I've never seen anything like that in my lifetime. People talking in other languages and all at once. Now, when I think about that, that is actually almost chaotic. That would have been a lot of noise in the room that day. And there were people who had questions about what God was doing here. Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. People back then, even on the day of Pentecost, were sceptical. Not everyone believed. Not everyone thought that what they were seeing, what they were witnessing, was an act of God. But remember, as we read this account, we have hindsight. We know that this is an, an, a legitimate move of God. We can see that we can see the fruit of what come, came out of the day of Pentecost. We know that thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus because of what the Holy Spirit was doing that day. Now this is actually a little bit similar to what was happening at Cane Ridge back in Kentucky in 1801. People were coming to faith. People were witnessing witnessing and experiencing the Holy Spirit. It seemed a little chaotic. It seemed a little weird. But lives were changed forever. And their lasting evidence was of the fruit that came out of people's lives. People committing their lives to Jesus. Lifelong commitment to following Jesus. Now like I said earlier that sometimes people today don't believe that the Holy Spirit works like this. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit works like he did in Acts chapter 2. They say there's no need for miracles because we have the Bible. And that is the complete revelation of God. But that's not what I see in the New Testament. And that's not what I see in the character and nature of Jesus. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. That's challenging. So what did Jesus do? We know he he performed miracles. He listened to God. He loved people. He taught people about God and drew people close to God. So how is it possible that Jesus is saying that we today, we as followers of Jesus, will do more than he ever did, greater things than he ever did? It's possible because when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to share the good news about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that works in and through us to show God. And that sometimes is shown through miracles. It's sometimes shown through different ways, like laughing, through crying. The Holy Spirit works beyond our imagination. And the Holy Spirit... Because there are more of us today that follow Jesus, you imagine we can do more than Jesus did because as a body, as a corporate body of Jesus' followers, each of us has the Holy Spirit. There are more of us that the Holy Spirit is using today than just Jesus and that's why we can do more than him. And that's encouraging and that's powerful. The Holy Spirit works in us. Now the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Jesus. So let's look at these few verses in Philippians 1. It says, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. The Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. The Holy Spirit we know helps us. And in Galatians 4.6 it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of his Son, the Holy Spirit, is what prompts us to call out Abba Father. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And because we know that Jesus never changes, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is nowhere in the New Testament that says the work of the Holy Spirit has stopped. He is working today, yesterday, yesterday in the present and forever because Jesus is never changing. The Holy Spirit is never changing and that's encouraging because we can know he's working in and through us today. We can know the Holy Spirit works through the the fruit that is evident in people's lives. We can know it's the Holy Spirit that is working because it will always line up with the nature and character of Jesus. And we can always know that the voice of the Holy Spirit is what it is like. It's because it's like Jesus. Jesus. We can ask the questions when we're hearing and having promptings from the Holy Spirit. Is this what Jesus would say? Is this what Jesus would do? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So we can come to events like this, like the Cambridge Revival, which is a bizarre moment in our history. And we can come with curiosity, come with questions, because it is bizarre, it is weird. But the evidence is that the Holy Spirit was working because the fruit was there in people's lives. And Barton Stone, through these revivals, developed a deep passion for these meetings because it brought about profound spiritual change in people's lives. He witnessed it himself, and he desired to bring people back to that New Testament church where the Holy Spirit was open and available and freely moving amongst people. And we can be curious about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. We can have the same desire as Barton Stone to see that spiritual transformation in our lives and the lives of people around us. I would love to experience something like the Cambridge Ridge Revival, even in its weird and croakiness. But more importantly than that experience, I want to experience the spiritual transformation of the Holy Spirit in my life each day. I want to be changed forever. Now there is one other story in Barton Stone's ministry that we want to look at today. And this is a completely different event to that Cain Ridge revival that happened. And the same principle applies. The Holy Spirit was working in this, but in a completely different way. And lives were changed forever. So these revivals that were happening all around America in the Second Great Awakening were causing the Presbyterian church to split because people in those didn't want to work with other denominations. They didn't want to work with the Baptists and the Methodists. And people were starting to be really freaked out about what the Holy Spirit was doing, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. People were unsure, so divisions were occurring. There were already divisions, but there were more happening even though God was doing incredible things. So Barton Stone and a few other of his ministry friends had the desire to bring the church back to unity, like we've talked about so many times. He was really frustrated about these man-made decisions. He was frustrated that people were having such a limited view of what God could do. So as a group, Barton Stone and his group of ministers made a really bold step, and they wrote a document called The Last Will and Testament, of the Springfield Presbytery. So, a last will and testament is obviously something you write before you die to say what you would like to happen to your body, to your possessions. A last will and testament signifies death. So, Barton Stone and his fellow ministers were part of this presbytery in a place called Springfield, hence, Springfield, uh, last will and testament of Springfield Presbytery. And they were led by the Holy Spirit to bring about the end of this presbytery because of the divisions that were happening. They wanted to end the divisions. They ended the presbytery because of that. They wanted to be unified as Christians only, not by special titles or names, not defined by creeds or denominations. So they took that bold step in writing this document to say, we are killing the presbytery, to revive the church back to where God wanted, they believed God wanted them to be. They wanted a church that was based solely on the Bible, without attention to religious rituals or extreme documents. They didn't want man-made hurdles that stopped people coming to Jesus and church. They wanted to be a church that was Bible-based, with no creed but Christ. And the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery was that dramatic move to end all of those things, to stop the divisions. And it's an amazing move led by the Holy Spirit, and we're still talking about it today. And hundreds of people through that move came to know Jesus as well. It was led by a community, a passionate community of followers of Jesus who are led by the Spirit. So in a world where doctrine, cultural differences and social lines often cause conflict, the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery gives us encouragement to embrace unity over division. It encourages us to focus on love over conflict. So it's these two events that drew Bartonstone to join with the Campbells in the restoration movement. And there are underlying principles that we can take away from these two events in our history. And that is listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that can look weird. Sometimes it can look messy. But listening to the Holy Spirit, like I said, it always lines up with the character and nature of Jesus. It always sounds like something Jesus would say and do. Now we can look back over these events in our history with awe and wonder and with curiosity. But we also need to ask, what does that mean for us as a church right now and our movement right now? And it means that we should be curious. We should be curious to how the Holy Spirit is working in us, in our church and in our community and being courageous and stepping out in faith as we make moves with the Holy Spirit guiding us. So does this mean that we should be experiencing things like the Cain Ridge Revival more often? And the answer to that is both yes and no. So let me explain. So we know that God still works in miraculous ways today and we absolutely should pray for a revival Over the last month as a church, we've been talking about and committing to praying for our neighbours and not just sitting in our homes praying for our neighbours, walking out our streets, getting out into our blocks, walking around the block, praying for our neighbours and in our workplaces and even our schools, asking Jesus, give me eyes to see people like you see people, asking who can I share my faith with, who can I invite to church and who can I care for? And as we're praying, I want to encourage you to add to that, pray for revival. Pray that the Holy Spirit will work in miraculous ways. Because as we've seen in the past, when the Holy Spirit moves, miracles do happen. And it's really exciting to be encouraged by that. Revivals still happen today. not sure if you're aware in the news over the last year, there's been a revival in Asbury in Kentucky, not that far from Cane Ridge revivals happen. The Holy Spirit moves. He was moving just in Asbury in amazing miraculous ways and people were coming to see Jesus. But these revivals aren't the everyday experience. They absolutely happen. We should absolutely pray for them. But God doesn't always work in that way. It's not the everyday. So we should be looking out for also the ways that the Holy Spirit works in the everyday. And it can be those small moves it can be the small, amazing things that he does in our life. Don't discount the small things, the small ways that the Holy Spirit works because that's what we see more often. It doesn't have to be the big, weird, crazy things, the miraculous. Be open to what God is doing. So this is how the Holy Spirit often works in my life, in the everyday. He works in my mind. To He often brings people's names to my mind randomly people I haven't thought about for a long time and he prompts me to pray for them often I don't know what to pray for but as I'm sitting there and praying for them I just pray general prayers and ask the Holy Spirit to give me words I know there are times when the Holy Spirit gives me peace that is beyond understanding like he promises in those moments where I just don't I am overwhelmed I don't know what to do I pray for peace and the Holy Spirit brings that I know the Holy Spirit gives me words to share with people. And the Holy Spirit sometimes gives me impressions and pictures that allow me to share with others and draw people closer to God. I know the Holy Spirit works in my life, and that is the everyday miraculous things that he does for me. Don't discount the small things. Pray for the big things, but don't discount the small So I want to encourage you, this is our final week of committing to our church, of praying for our neighbours. But please don't stop. Continue to walk the streets. Pray, be out there in our community, asking God to show us who he wants to draw close to him. But as we finish, I want you to maybe commit to asking, what do you want the Holy Spirit to do? What are impossible things, things that seem outrageous that the Holy Spirit can do in my life and my friend's life, my family's life? ask God, are there courageous things? Are there courageous ways that I can follow the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit? So I want to take a moment before we finish to leave space, to ask those questions right now, to ask the Holy Spirit, to maybe even pray for revival, that the Holy Spirit will move amongst us, that he will give us that courageous faith. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we can look back over our history of the Restoration Movement and look at the Cambridge Revival and even the amazing leading and guiding that you did of the last will and testament. And I pray right now that we will be open to the moves of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. I pray that you'll speak. I pray that we will experience you in new and unimaginable and miraculous ways. If you're feeling really sceptical like we talked about this morning and you're unsure, just ask God just to show you, is this from you? I just pray for all of us here that as you're prompting our hearts that we will be bold and courageous to take those steps that you you require of us that we will trust you that you will continue to guide us and lead us as we listen to the holy spirit as we listen to the prompts in our life and lord as a church i pray for revival i pray that your holy spirit will move in amazing and beautiful ways i pray that we will be open and curious to the work you want to do in our lives I pray that as we pray for our neighbours, as we walk our streets, you will do miraculous things, that your Holy Spirit will be working amongst our neighbours, that you will draw people close to you. Jesus, we just pray that you you will be known, that you will cause a revival, that you'll work in our lives in the everyday, that we will see your presence in, in unusual ways and we will just be on our knees in worship and thankfulness, that you are alive, that you speak, that you're at work. Jesus, thank you that we are not alone, that your Holy Spirit lives in us, guides us, and draws us close to your heart. In your name, amen.